Lord, we thank you for that occasion many years ago where you sent your Son into this world, announced it with a grand angelic choir, and uh, announcing the fact that there was good news. And uh, we're thankful for those glad tidings that were given, that this one who is more than just a babe, but to be the Savior of the world. Lord, help us as we look at the book of Jude here this evening. May we understand its message, its purpose, why it uh, is in our Bible, and the importance of uh, heeding the warning uh, that uh, it has in this book. And we're thankful for you giving it to us, your Holy Spirit inspiring Jude uh, to write it, and uh, we're thankful for it. And this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you've not gotten your notes yet, uh, they are out in the lobby, but uh, for the book of Jude, as we said, uh, we are going to wait on Revelation. We're not going to do that next week, but uh, when we hit the new year, uh, January the 4th and the 11th, I think those are the right dates, uh, we'll be going through the book of Revelation. I probably, as I said, I've not broken it up yet, but uh, give us two weeks to deal with some of the issues in the book of Revelation as far as interpretation. A lot of opinions on this. There's a lot of just confusion. Um, it's really a basic book. It's just all the details of it that start confusing people. Uh, and uh, it uh, can be a great help if you know how to work your way through it. Uh, but if you don't have a a framework of dealing with it, it will cause you some confusion. So uh, we'll take two weeks, but uh, not next week, but uh, the week after that we will get into the book of Revelation. Let me switch the screens here also while we're at it. Okay, we've got uh, this book. It's another one of these letters that is uh, just one chapter, so we will not be referring to chapter references. We'll be referring to verse references here this evening as we go through. One of the things that uh, you may not recognize in just starting the book, and it's not in your notes, uh, this name Jude is a name that, uh, if you think through it, how did we get this name? You have to realize that it is a shortened version of the word Judah, or as uh, there was a, by the time Jesus was there, there was a region called Judea. The tribe of Judah still existed and the, the like, but the territories were broken up to Galilee, Samaria, Judea, And this name Jude was a shortened version of Judah. And as a result of this, you have a lot of people that are named this. Ultimately, as you go through human history, this word Jude eventually becomes the word that is how all Israelites are identified. If you were to look at uh, even in the Holocaust and the like, as you see some of the names that were there, you had Jude and Juden written on their outfits. Uh, it's a word that is basically trans, uh, well, morgified, however you want to describe that, uh, to be the word Jew. 
And that's ultimately how we have this. So, so this is a, a name after the individual from the royal tribe, Judah. Many of the people that would have had this name probably were from the tribe of Judah. Um, we talk about Judas Iscariot, and most people think that Judas was probably the only non-Galilean. He was probably a, a Jew, uh, from Judea, the region that he was from. Um, so it's a very common name. And as you go through in your notes, it does state this, that there are seven individuals in the New Testament that have the name Jude or Judas. I mean, Judah uh, or Judas, uh, this name. However, right at the beginning of the letter, this Jude identifies himself as the brother of James. So we don't have to kind of work our way through who it is. Uh, As you read through, uh, it starts off, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Okay, Uh, this would have readily identified him as the half-brother of Jesus. And James and Jude have a unique position because they're not apostles, but when you look at the early church, they are viewed in um, almost apostolic leadership. That, I mean, that's, that's how they're viewed. Uh, we talked about James when he was suddenly the head of the church of Jerusalem. And when people would talk about the church of Jerusalem, they talk about uh, James and Peter and uh, John, and they were not talking about James the Apostle because he had been executed. They were talking about James the brother of Christ. Um, Jude, uh, we know very little about what he did, but he is like James. He didn't have faith in Jesus until the resurrection. Um, You'd say, well, these, you know, half-brothers of Christ had the opportunity to see him all the time, but you know, what led them to the fact that they weren't willing to hear? I, I don't know. You know, probably that they, you know, is uh, brothers and sisters sometimes do when you have the perfect child and then everyone else, you know, and they get really mad at the one that's the goody two-shoes and they're the ones that get in trouble all the time. I, I don't know. But these brothers are around. They do see many of the miracles that he does, but they aren't believers, but somewhere along the line, and, and uh, he probably appears in the, as you read through in 1 Corinthians 15, in that occasion, uh, he appears to his brothers, and the brothers believe in this time frame, and uh, very quickly become leaders in the church because they were very familiar with Christ, his ministry, who he was, and the like. Uh, he did not consider himself apostle, but he is an apostolic leadership. And from what we can be gathered in Scripture, Jude probably had a traveling ministry uh, during the book of Acts. Okay, he's not mentioned in the book of Acts. But we do know from 1 Corinthians chapter 9 that the brothers of Christ had wives that they took with them. Say, so why is that? Because Paul's arguing with the fact that he has the right to have a wife because the... Uh, you look at the apostles, the other apostles, they have wives. Cephas, Peter has a wife. The brothers of the Lord have wives. Did he have a right to have a wife? Yes. So when you're talking about the brothers of the Lord, you're talking about people like James and Jude. So that's all the information we have about him. Okay, uh, But we do know this is the brother of Christ. It makes it very easy for us, the half-brother of Christ. Um, <clears throat> 
You say, who's the reader of this letter? Well, no specific group of individuals are addressed in the letter. Uh, It just starts off with these ones who have been set apart by God, the Father, and are safe in Christ Jesus. It says there in verse 1, to them that are sanctified, the idea of being set apart by God, the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Okay, these are people who are saved, that are safe, and that's the idea of uh, preserved, that they're saved or safe. Uh, and uh, you get to the end of the letter, and you have this statement, verse 24, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God and our Savior uh, be glory and domin- or majesty, dominion, and power both now and ever. Amen. So right from the beginning, we're dealing with people who are Christians, and they have this understanding. Now, Many commentators think that he was writing to the same kind of crowd as James and Peter. Okay, Uh, Peter is spending much time, he's writing to the people in Asia Minor uh, in his letters, but it's, it's got a lot of Jewish overtones to it. When you read through Jude, there seems to be a lot of Jewish overtones to it. You go, what do you mean? He's going to use a whole bunch of Old Testament illustrations. I mean, it's only 25 verses in length, and he's probably got uh, at least 10 to 11 different Old Testament illustrations that he uses in that short period of time. So there would be a familiarity uh, with the Old Testament that would have probably meant that he was addressing the church, but probably heavily, more heavily, um, Jewish congregations uh, at this. Time written, letter has several similar themes to Second Peter. Now, here's, here's the key in understanding. Um, I've got a bunch of commentaries on my shelf, and when I go to look at uh, a commentary for Jude, this is how I usually will find it. I'll look for my commentary on Second Peter, and I'll say Second Peter and Jude because there's a lot of same stories in them, a lot of same prophecies used. And the question comes up, what's the difference between Second Peter and Jude? Why do we have two books with a lot of the same themes in them? And you take it this way. In Second Peter, Peter is writing and he's warning about false teachers that are going to come into the church. Okay, he's, he's warning about them. This is what they're going to look like. Uh, they're like this, and he gives illustrations of it, uh, and they're, they're going to do things like this. Jude, as uh, we look at the letter, uh, is writing as if they have already arrived. In fact, it'll play on the letter as he starts off. He goes, I was going to write to you about the common, uh, the, the common faith, um, Verse 3, Beloved, when I gave all diligence uh, to write unto you of the common salvation. He's just going to talk about salvation, what it means, the, the, the glory of salvation, being saved. He says, we're going to do this, but then all of a sudden I recognized something going on and decided I better not do this. It's nice to write about that, but I've got to pour, throw out a warning here. And what his warning is going to be is that the false teachers that Peter was announcing were going to show up. Jude's looking around and going, they're here. And so 2 Peter uh, is before false teachers really start showing up. Jude is after them, and he is, is now warning, they're here. The ones that the apostles previously warned about, Peter warned about, uh, they're here. 
And so that's the difference between 2 Peter and Jude, is that one's viewing before, one's viewing after these false teachers have shown up. There's a lot of the same material. Some people have said, was Jude using uh, 2 Peter as a springboard? You know, writing some of these themes and saying, this is what we've got going on. Um, very likely, I mean, he, he seems to understand as you go through that he knows the apostles' writings. Peter would have been an apostle. So uh, that's where you get this. Oh, by the way, that would put this after the letter that Peter wrote. Most say it's probably about 64, 67 AD, um, somewhere in that time frame after that. Connection with 2 Peter, okay, we've got this, and it's highlighted now, okay? Uh, what Jude is dealing with, false teachers are here. They're here now. Uh, the, the church was so early in its development in Peter and Paul that false teachers really hadn't gotten themselves organized yet. But in this you have now, um, verse 17, 18 that Jude knew that the apostles, like Peter and Paul, had warned about false teachers previously. Now, let's um, go ahead and read through. Well, let, let me just stop here for a second, and, and before we read through. Let's look at the purposes first before we read through it, Okay. Jude had wanted to write a letter about the gospel of salvation, but saw the danger of false teachers and changed the direction of his message. What he's going to do here is he's going to, uh, Jude is going to warn about false teachers. He highlighted their methods. He pointed out the fact that even though they seem to be gaining followers and seem to be gaining traction in the church, uh, he wants people to understand that their judgment is sure. They are going to be judged. They're not going to get away with this. Um, now, the church had a responsibility to kick out these false teachers when they saw them, but you know it, they, that was as far as they could go. They were not to take out vengeance upon these individuals in other ways, uh, and it was to be very clear that God was going to take care of judging individuals like this. In contrast, you get to the end of the letter, the believers were to uh, be a contrast to them by calling people to faith in Christ. In this passage at the end, you're pulling people out of the fire. You say, well, the fires of what? The fires of hell. Okay, you're saving them from eternal judgment, these people who have gotten caught up in these false teachers' uh, ideas and uh, have been deceived by it, that a Christian goes out of their way to hold up Christ, whereas the false teachers are denigrating Christ, running him over, uh, saying things that are not true about him. The Christian, on the other hand, is holding them up or him up and uh, rescuing those that are headed to destruction. Now, let's just read through this uh, letter here. It'll, it'll take us about four or five minutes here to read through it, but then we can go through the outline rather quickly once we've seen some of the details that are here. Okay, we've already read the first two verses, mercy unto you, peace, and uh, love be multiplied. But verse 3, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you the common salvation... It was needful, it was necessary for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. 
For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. Verse 6, and the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation. He has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication, going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, now talking about the present day false teachers, also these filthy dreamers, They defile the flesh. They despise dominion. They speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael, the archangel, when he contending with the devil, he disputed, or excuse me, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke thee. But these false teachers speak evil of those things which they know not. But what they know naturally as brute beasts in those things they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. These are spots in your feast of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water, carried about with the winds, trees whose fruit withered without, or fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars to whom it is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed, of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These false teachers, verse 16, are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lust. Their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. Verse 17, but here's the change. Here's what the believers are to be doing. But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ into eternal life. And if some have a compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. Say, what's the outline of this book? Well, 
very easily you start off with this and you have the introduction. Okay, from the start of the letter declared uh, that believers in Christ were safe. Okay, there is going to be judgment for false teachers, but if you know Christ, you're safe. That's going to be that's a major theme of of 2 Peter where he talks about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, but you had righteous Lot who was rescued out of this. Uh, and Jude kind of hints at this. You're safe. You're secure. You're set apart by the Father, preserved by Christ. The letter will also close with this statement that the protection that Christ provides his own. That's that prayer at the end that we just read. So that's the introduction. But then you get to this immediate importance about warning about false teachers. I mean, we don't know what was going on and what Jude had come across, perhaps in his travels as seeing churches and, and the like. But in writing his letter, he wanted to write about the faith. Okay? He, he wants to, to write about the common salvation. But these individuals are supposed to earnestly contend for the faith. By the time of Jude's writing, the doctrines of salvation in the church were settled and defined. I mean, by A.D. 65, people knew what the gospel was. I mean, it had been preached in churches all over uh, the regions uh, there of um, both Asia and in Europe. Uh, it had been preached and declared that Jesus saved by his death, that he was uh, the Son of God, that he came in human flesh. Uh, I mean, all of these were solid doctrines by that time in the church. It wasn't a question, even though they didn't have all the writings that we have, uh, that was kind of a settled thing. The apostles are all in unison on preaching these type of things. So for them, this is not uh, this common salvation in the faith. This is something by the time you get 30 years after Christ being here, it's a solid thing, solid knowledge for people who are listening to what the apostles have to say. Jude desired to glory in the salvation that was given. However, false teachers had invaded the church. The false teachers, as you would say, are ungodly. You, you, you go through this book and you've seen it. Even in Enoch's preaching some 2,000 years before the false teachers show up, which is indicating the fact that there's always false teachers around. But the idea of ungodly individuals... And you say, what are ungodly individuals? Ungodly individuals, you know, we, we sometimes go, oh, these are people who are, you know, wild, violent, you know, just out of control individuals. No, an ungodly person is this. He acts as if God has no say or doesn't matter. I mean, that's, that's what it means to be ungodly. You know, they, they may say God exists, but he doesn't, you know, he doesn't matter. Who cares? Who cares what God thinks? I mean, think about the people of the Tower of Babel. Were they acting like ungodly individuals? Yes. Did they acknowledge there was a God? Yeah. But what are they going to do? Well, we can go ahead and build this, even though God said differently. He doesn't really matter. He doesn't really play a role in things. These individuals that are in these false teachers are described as being ungodly, which means they lived as God didn't matter. They took the doctrines of grace and twisted it in order to live immorally. You have this statement that they're turning, verse 4, the grace of our God into lasciviousness. That's just an overabundance of immorality. And you say, can you take the grace of God and turn it into an occasion for sin. Read Romans chapter 6. 
There's people who are saying, hey, we're saved, so we can sin because the grace of God will be magnified if we just keep sinning. He's got to forgive us more and more for our sins. Uh, And if we just continue in sin, everything's going to be okay. God will forgive us. And the Apostle Paul is going, don't go down that track. God forbid. And the Greek behind it is, may that never be. Okay, don't think that. And there were some that were teaching in this church a grace that allowed for doing whatever you wanted, and they also denied the possibility that God could take on human flesh. I mean, they're denying uh, the only Lord God, our Lord Jesus Christ. They're denying that He came in the flesh, that Jesus was truly God. And so here they go, uh, starting off, they're ungodly, they're twisting these things so that they can live how they want, denying the very basis of what a church is. It's that Christ died to save them uh, and that He is God and could take on their sin. Now Jude is going to start off with basically saying, okay, let's give you historical examples of individuals who abandoned God and acted as if He didn't exist, didn't play a role in their life. Okay, the examples as you go through, unusually you might not do this, he uses the nation of Israel. But the tragedy of the nation of Israel, here's a group of people that actually saw God at work and could see him at work in the tabernacle. You could see his glory there. And what do they do? They go and do their own thing. You know, well, okay, you know, God, you know, we see God over there, but he doesn't really matter to us. We can do our own thing. We can go about and sin. God said, okay, they're judged. The angels who kept not their first estate, and the question is, what does that mean? And we got a little bit into that when you get in Genesis chapter 6 that some people think, okay, the angels tried to uh, marry into the human race. I don't, I don't go with that. But there seems to be that there are certain angels that did something wrong to a level where God just said, okay, fine, I'm going to hold you uh, in chains until the time of judgment. I mean, we got little details of this. We never really get a whole lot of explanation, but that happened. Or Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, people go, well, the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was that they, um, you know, the, the, the homosexuality that was there. And we're going to get into this in Genesis. But as you read through the, the Old Testament, it wasn't the sin of immorality that was there that was the problem. Anybody know what it was? Pride. Ironic. When you come and talk about these things, it was the issue of pride. You go, pride like whom? Like Satan. I will be like the Most High God. I can make all the decisions. It's not that I'm denying there's a God, it's I will be like God. And he can't affect what I'm going to do. And so as he goes through and Jude in those three verses gives these illustrations, he's just simply saying, listen, these people that abandon God as the one who does everything and the basis of everything, they don't deny the fact that he exists, they just deny the fact that he has a say, that he matters. In fact, they can be like him. And what God says, people like that will be judged. You have historical precedents let's just give three examples, they will be judged. So that's the danger of these false teachers. Now, the characteristics of the false teachers. 
It describes them in starting off in verse number eight that these are filthy dreamers, defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil, uh, evil uh, of dignities. I mean, these are, as you put it this way, are dreamers or imaginers, okay? The book of Psalms talk about it, that these are people who meditate, but they're not meditating on God, they're meditating on their own things. They're mulling it over in their own mind. These people are dreamers who defile themselves, despise authorities, and deride powers, authorities. And we got this unusual passage that's here where it all of a sudden inserts a story and you're just like, uh, what? Never heard this one before. It, uh, you can find this in ancient Jewish writings, not in scriptural writings, where you have a story like this. But you see in verse number 9, Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed, when disputing about the body of Moses, durst not against, uh, bring against him a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke thee. You go, what does that have to do with anything previous to this? It's this. Here you have a story where the angels are, are disputing about the body of Moses. You go, why? Because the body of Moses is hidden and buried. You know, why? My opinion is this, is that he's going to come back and be one of the two witnesses. I mean, you read the book of Revelation and this, and so his body, he's going to come back, and he's going to be there, and this body is going to be there. Well, you, you seem to have this, you know, kind of dispute over uh, the body there, you say what? And are, I, I don't ex- exactly know what they're arguing over, whether you know, they're trying to steal the body, whatever. But in the midst of this fight that's taking place, not really a fight, Michael the archangel, who is underneath Satan in power, okay, you go, wait, Satan was the chief of the angels, Michael is lower than power? What does Michael do? Michael goes, you know what? I I don't rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. He goes to the higher power. He, He goes and he goes to the one that actually does have the power. And you say, well, what does it have to do with the false teachers? The false teachers say all sorts of bad things about God. And they have no power. They're made of flesh, blood, dust. And they're willing to proclaim all sorts of things against God and powers. And yet here you have an illustration of Michael the archangel who's not willing to, to you know, make this accusation. Probably a true, you know, it would be a true accusation against uh, Satan. No, he just goes, okay, the Lord will take care of you. The Lord rebuke you. Not even he's willing to speak evil of powers over him and abilities, okay? These false teachers may proclaim wisdom, but they're no smarter than dumb animals, okay? This is where you get this. These are ones who speak uh, evil, but they're like brute beasts. They think they know where they're going, but they're as dumb as an ox, And I, I was thinking through this. Romans chapter 1 is so clear on this. Professing themselves to be wise, they become fools 
And if you pay attention to what's going on around you, you got people who are going, hey, we got new wisdom. You know, we got a brilliant way on how to live life that, you know, has never been thought of before uh, and how we're going to do this. And you're going, it's not going to work. But they go their own direction, unthinking like uh, animals. And you kind of go, okay, where are they going to go? Well, they're eventually going to find themselves in a situation that's going to bring them their destruction, ultimately. These are are mindlessly following a path of destruction that Cain, Balaam, and Korah traveled. That's what you have named there. Uh, Balaam, or excuse me, Cain. You say, what did Cain do? Well, Cain was angry with his brother, and so he went and killed his brother and went about his own uh, life wandering from God. Uh, You have Balaam, who uh, for money was willing to sell out the one true God to witness against his people. Uh, Korah, you go, who's that? Well, that's the individual that spoke against Moses and his leadership, and it was eventually swallowed by the ground. And these are all people who kind of go their own way and go against the authorities that are there, God, in one way or another. They ignore him or go against him, and they're going to find themselves in a place of destruction. And then you have these wonderful illustrations. We don't have time to just kind of play out what's there, but you see verse 12 and following all these different illustrations. These individuals are like spots. They stain everything they touch. You know, they come to these feasts, and instead of it being a feast that would be in the church would be what they would call a love feast, a fellowship you know, we, we have fellowship meals and, and gatherings and the like. Uh, you have a person like this, and everything and every conversation and everything they're part of, it's like they blemish it and make it, you know, spotted and dirty. They're like spots at feasts. They're, they're like empty clouds. You know, it's like uh, here in the Midwest, we see the clouds coming from the west typically, and you see these massive thunder clouds. Well, imagine having massive thunder clouds coming, and then they just go overhead and nothing happens. There's a promise of rain in those clouds. That's why they have those, you know, they're so high up, you're waiting for the rain to, the, the precipitation to fall from those things. They have to. Uh, but these uh, ones promise all sorts of things, and then they are empty of any sort of health. Uh, they're like fruit trees that have nothing to give and are dead. Uh, they're loud and boisterous like waves. They have all sorts of things to say about everything, but uh, as far as what they actually have, it's just foam that they're offering. You know, after you have raging waves, what you have, you have foam that's left, and it, th- there's nothing to it. Lots of noise, no power. Uh, they're like wandering objects in space. You know, this idea that you know, the planets back then were known as the wanderers. You know, they could tell this in the sky, and it, they, they, the pattern didn't make sense because sometimes they went forward and sometimes they went back, and, and so they called the planets wanderers. That's kind of the, the, what they're describing here. They're like those planets that are in the darkness of space, and they have no seeming anchor. They just kind of go wherever, and they're in darkness of space. They're like this. They have no anchor. False teachers are not a new invention. Okay, we have this. Enoch preached about them 2,000 years before Christ, or 2,500 years before Christ, excuse me. Um, 
These ungodly are ones who do what they want. Their end is eternal destruction. They wander after their own desires and boast of their activities, uh, and in the end, they're destroyed. So verse 17, we said there's the change, okay? You have that conjunction, but here's the, the, the difference, okay? False teachers are doing this, but you and the church, here's what you can do to do something to combat what it says, earnestly contend for the faith. That's what he's writing about, that you should earnestly contend for this. Well, how do you do this? Well, it starts this way. The first defense is the teaching of the apostles. They forewarned about these false teachers, their actions and their words. Okay? This, what we have that founded the church, okay, where the, the, this, the, the church was founded on the teachings of the prophets and the apostles, we have everything we need to identify false teaching and false teachers. The defense for us is that we get into, we would say this, get into the Word of God. You, you know the real thing, you'll identify the counterfeit. And so the first defense is this, you get into the Word of God. Believers are to remain in the teaching of the apostles. The second thing is this, is that prayer is another defense. You have this in verse number um, 20, praying in the Holy Ghost. Okay? When you pray, you're communicating back to God what he's communicated to you. There's a reciprocal process here. Uh, You hear from him, and if we're praying rightly, we're praying in reaction to what he said to us, and this communication that goes back and forth, praying is a defense against getting caught by false teachers. You have this, third, the reminder of the love of God keeps the believer from wandering away um, themselves. Uh, It says uh, in verse number 21, keep yourselves in the love of God. You go, why is that important? Because what is Satan going to do? Think about what he did in the garden. Has God said, really, did God say that? What kind of a God, I mean, this is the the assumption here. What kind of God would do that? You know, he's just holding things back from you because he knows that if you have that fruit, you'll be just like him. You'll be just like God. God really doesn't love you. He's cheating you. Well, if you keep yourself in the love of God and understand that he loves us so much that he sacrificed his own son, You, you keep yourself in the love of God, you suddenly realize, no, there's not a God up there that's, that's the situations I'm in and the things he's forbidding from me are not that he's a God up there that hates me. No, he loves me. Being in the love of God keeps a person from taking in false teaching. You'll find more often than not individuals that get caught in false teaching that are in churches are ones who are bitter about something. You go, why? They're bitter, they, they think God has cheated them stolen from them, not kind to them. Okay, that, that's the danger. So keep yourself in the love of God. And then fourth, the coming of the Lord reminds the believer that this assault will end and the false teachers will be judged. Okay, this too shall pass. The end will come. It's not that these false teachers will go on and on and on unrestrained, uh, that God's not going to do anything. No, God's going to come in and come in and take care of this for eternity. 
You realize walking the streets of gold, you'll never be confronted with somebody that you're going to wonder, hmm, I wonder if they're saying what they're saying is really true here. No. Because God will put a definitive end to this. People who are teaching things in contrast to God. So false teachers are usually beyond saving. But there are many deceived followers who need rescue from eternal destruction. You usually don't have the false teachers being rescued, individuals who call themselves prophets and teachers. You usually don't see those people, but there are a lot of people that you can rescue who have gotten caught in some of these teachings, and you come to them and go, here's what the Word of God says. Here's what the common uh, faith is. This is what it says in the Scriptures. And all of a sudden, they're like, oh, wow. And do you realize that sometimes it does get, does get messy rescuing people from situations like this? And that's the idea, that you're saved so as by fire, that you're like a fireman going into a building and rescuing people, and when you come out, there's the smell of smoke. And sometimes when you work with people that are like this, you come into their lives and you're working with them and you're trying to rescue them with the gospel and you are rescuing them and it's like you're the fireman coming out and it's just like, wow, that was a battle getting them out of there. But is it worth it? The answer is absolutely. Absolutely to rescue a soul from the flames of hell uh, eternally that has been caught in the trap of false teachers. So God is able to help the believer in whatever circumstances and will safely bring them home. So don't be afraid to go and attempt to rescue individuals that need rescuing. Do it, because you'll be safe. So interesting book uh, for different reasons of just those specific prophecies that are the ones about the angels and others that people get caught up on, but that's not what Jude's wanting you to get caught up on, is that you need to be warned, false teachers are coming, but there's a way for us to combat them that we contend for the faith. Lord, we thank you for this book. May we, when we see false teaching crop up, that we would graciously but strongly Hold up what your word says, what you've declared. And do this with boldness, not with fear, trepidation, with the hope of rescuing individuals that are deceived, that have been taken in. And uh, Lord, may we have in this room individuals that have that opportunity to be like firemen rescuing people that are bound for eternal flame of judgment. So help us uh, to be ones that are willing to not just talk about how great salvation is, but at times contend for it and do battle sometimes for the rescuing of souls. In this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.